guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. guys what's up this is melissa and you're back with the mimosa sisterhood podcast and if you're new here welcome to the show i am so excited that you found me and if you haven't already grab a glass of wine a mimosa a cocktail baileys and coffee whatever your poison might be because we have a really awesome show today So if you haven't heard already, this is a podcast that celebrates the lives of women throughout history, but today we're also covering a woman who is making history right now in 2021. And in addition to my history segment, I also recently launched a new series that I call The Everyday Woman, and it's basically my interview style segment where I bring really inspirational women onto the podcast who are alive now and kicking ass in their day-to-day lives. And they get to share their story with you. And often those stories have topics of hardship, struggle, strength, growth, experience. And ideally, it's just supposed to be a way to allow the rest of us to realize that we are really not alone in this crazy world. So welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the sisterhood. So happy you're here. And today I have a really cool guest who's joining me on the mic to tell a story about a history making woman that she loves and admires. And that guest is Tori Ganahl. She is the founder of She Factor and she is the host of the She Factor podcast. And her entire mission is helping women create the life that they love. In addition to running this digital platform and her podcast, Tori also hosts some really incredible virtual events. And I actually attended one a couple of months ago, and I was honestly just blown away by how awesome this event was, how much work Tori does in finding her guest speakers, coordinating the entire event from the flow to the scheduling to the graphic design to the marketing, everything that she does to create a really awesome space for women to meet each other, to learn from each other, and to ultimately become inspired from one another. So if you're into the Mimosa Sisterhood, I have no doubt you're going to love Tori. You're going to love She Factor. You're going to love the She Factor podcast, and you're really going to enjoy this co-hosting partnership we're doing today. And actually, in even more fun news, I was just recently a guest on her podcast, and that episode releases today. So once you're done listening to us on Mimosa Sisterhood, head over to the She Factor podcast, and you can hear part two of just us being awesome and hilarious together as newfound friends. So... On that note, today we have two seriously phenomenal women that we're covering on the show tonight. The first person we cover is a Japanese artist who was super influential during the 1960s in New York, and so much of her work inspired other very famous artists in the world who may or may not have copied her art, profited off of her art, while she made no money and was 
really somewhat erased from art history. And we also cover a woman who is seriously kicking ass right now today. She just made groundbreaking history a couple of weeks ago. She's only 31 years old, which is my age. And I have a really personal connection to her, which you are about to learn about in the next couple of minutes. So super excited about this episode. Love this partnership with Tori. And if you do enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends. Seriously, you guys, this is the best and easiest way for you to help support this show, which is honestly just by spreading the word. (laughs) So if you feel like this episode would connect with like a friend, a coworker, a family member, whoever, shoot it over to them via text message, email, send it on social media, share it to your Instagram stories, whatever works for you. Every bit of that is such an incredible help to the growth and success of the Mimosa Sisterhood podcast. So Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. And without further ado, grab that alcoholic beverage, fasten your seatbelts, and get ready for some serious tea we about to spill. Welcome, Tori Ganahl on the Mimosa Sisterhood podcast. I'm so excited you're here, Tori. Welcome to the show. I am so honored to be here. So excited. I fell in love with your podcast from the moment I found out about it. And we're going to have so much fun. We already have. Yes. We've had quite the uh, pre-recording experience, actually, you guys. So Tori and I met in a podcast accelerator program earlier in 2020, actually the end of 2020. I keep saying it was the uh, earlier 2022. (laughs) I literally just said that to someone yesterday. I was like, "Eh, actually, it was November. (laughs) You know what? That year was so weird. I feel like we time lapsed. Like, I don't know what happened. But yeah, I've, I've, I've talked about it on the podcast a few times. I was in the Almost 30 Podcast Accelerator program. It was six weeks long. It was so awesome. I learned so much stuff about podcasting that I never knew and um, super grateful for it. But Tori was one of the people that was also in the school. So I got to see her every single Tuesday. And she has a kick-ass podcast too. So we're doing a little partnership today. She's coming on the show, going to tell us about a badass woman that she loves and admires. And we just had the most ridiculous attempt at starting the show with like the most absurd amount of audio issues that two pretty seasoned podcasters could ever possibly have but here we are (laughs) but the irony behind it is the fact that right before we pressed record we were talking about how terrible some other people's audio is and like how shocked we were and then of course that would happen like that was like the podcasting god saying like you need to shut the hell up like just let it go (laughs) yeah so yeah we just got a rude awakening that we can't set up microphones but that's all right guys it's okay. Shit happens. We're, it we're humbles good now. You. So humbling. <laughs> we got to figure it out. But Tori, tell everybody about your podcast, your business, what you've got going on. The whole shebang. We want to hear it. Yeah. So I started She Factor, gosh, almost two years ago now. It'll be two years in March, May. Wow. What year is it? What month is it? I don't know. And I started it with my mom. I'm 25. And at the time, I had just graduated college at University of Oregon, moved to Portland, Oregon from Colorado, and had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. After being 
like basically the dream child in college. Like I was president of my sorority as a sophomore, president of Panhellenic, like double majored, had tons of internships and then out in the, went out in the real world and was like, okay, what now? So I took a job that I 1000% hated and was just absolutely miserable. It was a sales recruiting job. And if you know me, like I feel like you know me well enough at this point to know, like I would not thrive in an environment like that. Like I... I'm just too, like, I need my creative juices flowing. Like, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, though, because I watched my mom go through all of the ups and downs of entrepreneurship as a kid, starting the country's largest pet care franchise, Camp Bow Wow. So ended up two years later hitting major rock bottom and realized that a lot of my girlfriends were in the same boat. Like we were all just kind of like surviving, not thriving. We had no idea what the next year looked like or in it five years or 10 years. And we had no idea what we wanted to do. So my mom and I decided to start She Factor. She wrote a book, which is kind of like a letter to her 20 year old self. And it turned into so much more than we could have even ever imagined. It turned into an app, which actually just was a little bit of a flop, but that's okay. You live and you learn. (laughs) And then we turned it into these live chapters all across the country. Another flop because then 2020 happened and our whole plan just went kabust. And it actually all ended up being amazing because now we're this incredible digital platform for women, specifically in their 20s, a little bit of their 30s too, to help them create a life they love. So we've gone completely virtual. We've done like 20 plus virtual events at this point. We've had over 50,000 people at our events. We've had um, a really successful podcast, the She Factor podcast, um, a blog, what else do we do? Really, the events is our bread and butter. We have a membership that just launched. Um, so lots of great stuff. And it's been so amazing, especially just connecting with other women like yourself and people that are just making things happen. It's so hard to meet friends in your 20s. And this has just been an incredible experience to see come to fruition. So yeah, that's a little about us and what we're doing. I love it. Um, I can absolutely attest to the fact that even when you're almost 32, you sometimes don't know what the hell you're doing in life. Um, Are you almost 32? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, I had no idea. I thought you were like 23, 24. Oh, definitely not. (laughs) Been there, done that. It was wild as shit. Now I'm past the 30s. But those things don't ever end usually. And I think sometimes it's a true testament of the individual where, you know, I've been in this corporate world for years now, but Mm -hmm. I do it because I went to college and that was the next step. And you just go with the flow of life until you start your own podcast. And now you're working towards bigger and better things that you build and create on your own. Yeah. I think the problem is, is like, we we like to say that Chief Actor is the, the framework that society's plans don't give you. Because truly and honestly, like exactly what you just said, so many of us don't figure out what we're passionate about, what really lights us up, what excites us until later on in life. And then by that point, you're 10 years later and you're like, what if I could have found this so much earlier? So that's really what we're trying to do with She Factor is help women realize their potential, their passion, their purpose early on so that they can really go through this journey with more confidence and more community and just more belonging in this world. Like you're here to share your special gift with the world and that should happen earlier rather than later so that's our goal that's our mission and it's it's happening for a lot of women in our community and it's been magical to see well I think too like what's super important to note is just like this huge advancement in 
internet, social media, online platforms, like that was not something that existed when I was like 17 years old. I mean, we had MySpace, but you were only allowed to upload four pictures. (laughs) And you had like your go-to song on your profile. Like what was your MySpace song? I you remember? I, no, I probably like Michelle Branch. Like I don't even know. I think mine was like the Elle Woods um, theme song. Like it's the perfect yep. day. Yeah. Wow. My oh voice. My don't listen to that. But um, yeah, it's crazy. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is a perfect little lead in to a clue about who my woman is tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Definitely. It just how this world has progressed and changed in the in the online online space in general so awesome well yeah I think like if I had had something like she factor or even just all these podcasts with like such incredible messaging when I was in high school I probably wouldn't have gone this expected path where I just like did a bunch of shit I didn't really care about and like ended up in all these jobs that don't mean shit to me I probably would have taken a more creative route that I actually wanted to take but didn't feel like really empowered or in a position to to do it Mm -hmm. but that's really special about the time that we're in today I mean there's a lot of things that aren't special about today but one of the good special things is just the fact that there is so much so many resources and just the ability for younger people to have platforms that can really help guide them in a better path that maybe they wouldn't have had if they were born in you know, 1989. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so true. I mean, yeah, it's all about connection. And I think the thing that our generation is better at probably than the younger generation is this idea that we didn't really have a lot of social media growing up. So we know how to disconnect, whereas I think they don't have that pleasure yeah. and that convenience as much. But, you know, I think it's all about where you find inspiration. Like if you fill your feed with people that inspire you and people you would sit down and want to have a coffee with rather than people that make you feel yucky and gross and jealous and insignificant, like that makes the world's difference. So I really encourage everyone listening. Like if you are following anyone that you would literally not want to go sit down and have a mimosa with, then press the freaking unfollow button now. (laughs) See ya. Peace out. Goodbye. In complete transparency, I've like never really been like a, a friend girl. Like I've never had a lot of girlfriends. I've never had a group of friend friends. I went to like seven different schools for high school. So to to be real, like I've met my best friends on the internet. And nice. it's crazy. And this in this last year, like I have not met half of them in person, but they've become my best friends through this yeah. platform. So that's the beauty of it. You know, it you really just gotta is. you gotta fill it with people you love. Yeah, totally. And I again, that's just another reason why advanced technology can be so good Mm -hmm. and that you have the opportunity to have a real conversation with somebody in different state, different country, um, but you connect and you get each other. And I just I love it. Yeah, that's the best part about being a podcaster, too. All the people I get to chat with and get to know by the end of it, I'm like, when are we getting drinks? I know. Trust me, I know. I, I used to record in person. I was traveling so much for She Factor that I would schedule my recordings in person wherever I was traveling. Oh, I miss it so much. And right. it's the best part. And it's so we literally would sit down and have a drink and like podcast yeah. live. Those oh, are the days. That's my dream. One day again. One day, please get me out of this house. Yes. Oh, well, what are you drinking tonight? I heard you cracking a can earlier. So I am drinking Bev. Have you heard of Bev before? No. Okay, so 
Bev is amazing. It's canned wine, yes, but it's 11% alcohol and oh, a fourth shit. a fourth of a bottle of wine in this little can. Yeah. How? Uh, I don't know. And it's really low in sugar. So this actually only has, um, it's like three grams of sugar in it or three oh, net wow. carbs or something. So, but the reason why I love Bev is because it was women founded and it was founded off the aspect that, you know, we don't need to constantly have drinks in our hand when we're socializing. Like, yes, it's great to pop open a beverage and have a drink, but it should be a good thing. Like it should Mm -hmm. be something you enjoy, something that's not completely torturing your body, like a whole Uh bottle of wine might if you don't do well with sugar, which I don't. Um, And it's just a really cool brand in general. Like they just, it's awesome branding. Like I've heard you talk about on the podcast, you choose the bottle off the label. And (laughs) Bev is just like a super freaking fun brand. Like they're just all for women, all for, I think it, their slogans like made by chicks for chicks. And oh my God, I love it. It's low key some of the best wine I've ever had. Is this just like a grocery store purchase? I buy it online in packs. Oh, okay. Of like 24. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think it's out in grocery stores yet. I think they just launched it about a year ago, but I you can buy it online. This down. Hell yeah. I am buying this tomorrow. I love learning about new wines, new wine owners, the new jam. So stoked. Thank you. And for it's got a it. little, it's got a little fizz to it too, nice. which is nice. So it like kind of tastes like you're drinking champagne, but you're yes. not. Yes. Yes. Perfection. Mm-hmm. And the, and the can too. You can pop a few in the purse on the go. Just kidding. Uh, no, <laughs> <Kinda>. for real. <laughs> Fourth of July this year, we went on a boat and I just brought like a little pack of them and there's my bottle of wine for the day. It was perfect. All right, Bev, guys. Bev's the new wine for us. We're doing it. Okay, so I have like really been stepping up my wine lately. And what I mean by that is I went from like $7 wines to $15 wines. It's a big jump. It really is a big jump. I know. And I only did it because I was so intrigued by this wine label. And then I also found out that this wine company is one of those interactive ones where you can like scan the label and see like a little show happen. Wait, I've never heard of this. What? Okay. So I've only known of one other wine company to do this. And it's the like the crimes. Have you ever seen like the 19 crimes and they have the like prison guy on it? Mm -hmm. Well, you can download an app, scan the prison dude, and he'll do a little like virtual skit for you on your phone. But it's about like why he ended up in jail in Australia or like whatever crime he did, you know? So it's like cool, but like I don't really care that much about prison dudes. So this is like so snazzy. It has, it's a rosé. It has this like mermaid and then there's like a shipwreck. And I'm like, wow, Wow. I'm so intrigued by the art that's on this bottle. So then I bought it and then I got home and I realized I could watch the show. Like there's an app. So I downloaded it, started watching it. It's perfection basically this mermaid lady starts singing and then the boat people are like mesmerized by her voice and they start like sailing towards her and then they crash into rocks to their like fiery death and then the mermaid turns into this creepy witch and she's like couldn't make it out alive (laughs) i was dying i was cracking up i was like holy shit can you just so like, anyway, screen record it and send it to me? I think that. I need to I see that like, now. I was thinking I wanted, I was like, I have to record this. It's too good. Wow. Um, but That's in impressive. addition to that, I'm not even like a huge rosé person and I love this wine. Like mm. I am pleasantly surprised at how good it is. And 
like I'm re- recommending this from now on for rosé. So it's called Rabble, I think, or Rebel. I think it's called Rabble. <laughs> um, it's a rosé wine. It's bomb. It has this cool mermaid. She's doing all kinds of shit, killing pirates and stuff. Um, and I, I think just the wine company is Rabble, R-A-B-B-L-E. Hmm. I've never heard of it. I got it okay. at Cost Plus World Market, Heaven on Earth. Nice. And um, it's bomb. So if you're ever at Cost Plus, get this rosé. I'm telling you, it's a little pricier than I normally buy, but I something in my gut was telling me, get wow. this wine. That is and so cool. And I was cool. not... <laughs> I was not they were not wrong the gut was not wrong so that's so funny um yes I should be drinking a lot nicer wine because I live in Oregon and like literally have the nicest wineries in the world like right next to me and I think I have a like $50 bottle of wine down there that I got for free because it's like down the street but on that note if anyone wants a little discount code to Spade and Sparrows if you haven't heard of that, it's Caitlin Bristow's wine brand. She is actually one of our ambassadors, has been since like the no very way. start of She Factor. Yeah, she wrote the forward of the book. She spoke at our event, like our very oh, opening God. event. So if you want a little discount code to Spades and Barrows, let me know. DM me and I'll send you guys a code. Love it, guys. Get on top of it. You take your discount code when you can. We do and not let those pass by us. <laughs> the the rosé, the... <gasps> Spade and Sparrows Rosé is actually one of my favorites. That's why I mentioned it because it's it's Love a really it. good rosé. So. Oh my God. I have never tried the wine, so I might need to add it to the list for future pod episodes. Oh girl, I got you. Let me just do a little intro to my girl. Yes. We'll get you set up. We'll get you some samples. <laughs> Love it. Okay, but also the other thing that I was going to say is that when I bought this wine, I had no plans for it. I just like to buy snazzy wines and I keep them in the queue and then I'm like, oh, we'll figure out what episode I want this for. In but the I queue. ended up deciding on who I was going to choose for tonight's episode and it could not pair more perfectly with this wine bottle here for so many freaking reasons. I can't wait so, for this. I'm very excited because it's just on point. So I'm going to, are you, are we ready to get into it? Let's are we going to do this? Okay. Yep. Let's I need to just know. Get one more pour going. If I could just crack it again, I would, but I can't. <laughs> well, once you finish it, you could crush the can. That or I could just go too. get another one. <laughs> That'll work too. Oh my god. Okay, so tonight I am covering a woman whose name is Yayoi Kusama. And she is a Japanese artist who is known for her extensive use of polka dots, as well as infinity room installations, which are largely inspired by her hallucinations, which she experiences due to her mental illness. Hmm. So she has a crazy ass story. But the reason why I wanted to pick her is because she has been largely erased from art history world, but she is like one of the most influential artists of her time. Wow. But because of her story and the way things kind of took place, she was kind of like wiped from the queue for like decades. Wow. Which sucks. I mean, you don't, that's how many other, like how many other women has that happened to that we just don't know? Millions. Yeah. So many. How shitty is that? I know. So I'd never heard of her before, and I wanted to highlight her life on the show. And then when I saw this wine bottle and the fact that it came to life and told me a story, which is exactly what happens in Yayoi's story in terms of her hallucinations (laughs) and her colorful, totally eccentric art, I was like, she could have actually just created this wine bottle for me and like sent a message through the universe that I needed to pick it and cover it on her episode. I love it. 
I love it too. And the fact also that it's rosé, she's such a colorful woman that it's like, of course I have to drink rosé in her honor because white wine and dark red wine is not cutting it. <laughs> I hear you, girl. I'm, I was on a Pinot kick for a long time and sometimes you see you switch it up. You do. We need a little color, a little flavor in the mouth. So yeah. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about her and I will let you know in advance. There are parts of the story that get a little bit dark, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. So okay. tread lightly. Okay, Got so it. Yayoi Kusama was born in 1929 in Japan, and her family owned a plant nursery and seed farm, and so at a very early age, she started drawing pictures of pumpkins. Just naturally was inclined to start drawing pumpkins. Random. I know. <laughs> and her mother was not supportive of her creative interests whatsoever and told her from an extremely young age that she should not bother with art because one day she needs to marry a very rich man and become a housewife. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So she knew deep down in her heart that she could not live without art. So she basically was like sneaking artwork behind her mother's back and if her mom was, like, coming in the room or, like, you know, wherever, like, getting closer to her, she'd have to, like, rush and finish her artwork before her mom caught her or else she would risk having her canvas and inks taken away. Aww. So she was, like, not kidding about, like, you can't do art. Like, she was, like, Sad. literally, I will stop you from doing art. And so Yayoi had a suitcase full of secret drawings that she kept in her hidden in her bedroom. And she always just knew deep down in her heart that she was destined to be an artist no matter what. So, even worse, her mom was, like, physically and psychologically abusive to her, and Mm. she did the weirdest thing ever. She basically forced Yayoi to spy on her father's extramarital affairs so that she could, like, report it back to the mom. And she had to witness many times her father, like, literally having sex with other women. Oh, my God. So horrible. Can you rewind? What what decade is this? 1930s, probably. Oh, God. 1930s Japan. Yes. So, yeah. Like, she noted that her father was, like, a loose dude. Like, he was out in the streets doing what and when whenever he felt like it. (laughs) Like, that was, like, well-known info in the family. But the mother used her as, like a spy to basically report back like on what you're seeing with your dad and so she was put in many situations where she had to see things that she did not want to see was probably too young to see didn't need to see happening with her damn dad of all people or just see in general like he wants to watch somebody else have sex no one (laughs) and so this like really fucked her up at a young age and it left a really deep scar in her soul and it ultimately led her to have like a lifelong hatred and fear of sex and the male body so completely screwed up that entire thing for her in her life wow this is gonna be a great conversation because <laughs> this is like I'm, I'm finding alignments in my woman Are too, you? which I love yes oh that is my favorite thing ever especially when I'm like covering especially when like the two of us end up covering people whose lives like blended and like they maybe had met at one point Ooh. it just gives me so much life <laughs> that won't be the case here but no no we'll keep going okay so she when she so then this was all happening at home and then when she was 10 years old she began experiencing vivid hallucinations so 
it probably it could have been a combination of a couple things like she could have just experienced like such severe like emotional psychological trauma that she developed mental health problems or she just always had had mental health problems and they started to actually come to fruition around 10 years Mm -hmm. old but she started experiencing well she started seeing like flashes of light auras fields of dots patterns fabrics and they were like coming to life so she was like seeing them moving like things were happening and she also would vividly see flowers that would be like speaking to her so this is giving me like Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yes. Yeah. Queen's Gambit vibes. Yes. Oh, my God. Queen's Gambit was so good. So good. <laughs> it was so good. And that's actually interesting because, no, this was before Queen's Gambit I was going to say this sounds like before when you're talking about this, I was like, this sounds like something that would have happened in that era. Oh, like, yeah. Like here in the U.S. But I think it would be like less. Obviously, there would be mental health issues involved in this but like less about the mental health issues and more about the fact that like every woman was being classified as like psychotic and oh, given yeah. so much Xanax <laughs> that they were hallucinating so oh, yeah. I could you can see that happening later uh-huh. on obviously which is crazy yeah I know that was I was very fascinated about that part of Queen's Gambit I'm just like I had to oh, look it up I was God. like what is she taking is she taking like Adderall or like Valium or Xanax like what is Lots causing her to do this but you know it, it it was her power pill, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yikes. So, so yeah. So, the hallucinations were happening. And then, literally a couple years later, at 13 years old, she gets sent to go work in a military factory where she had to sew parachutes for the Japanese army for World War II. Wow. So, like, as a child, straight to the factory, build us a parachute, we're in war. So, the times were also gnarly. And when she talks about this experience in her life, she explains that her adolescence was extremely dark. And although that she could hear, she could, it was extremely dark, but she could always hear air raid alerts going off around her and she could see American B-29s flying overhead in broad daylight. So, is that like her hallucinations or no, is that like, like for real? Oh, like, like World real. War Two is happening, okay, like Japan's going to be bombed any day type of thing. Like, it's not good. Um, okay, just ignore that I even made that comment. Like, just, <laughs> sorry. Wow. No. It, I mean, it was, like, legit, like, the world I'm getting her hallucinations in the real world mixed up. Just ignore me. So, Yayoi's childhood was greatly influenced by what was happening with her mom, hallucinations, and then the events of that were taking place with the war during the time she was growing up. And she claims that, like, this entire period is the reason why she ultimately ended up pursuing a path of, like, way more creative freedom and personal freedom. So... Later in her teens, she went on to study traditional Japanese art, but she quickly became frustrated with the Japanese style, and she started to show more of an interest in the European and American avant-garde style. So by the 1950s, she began staging several solo exhibitions of her paintings in Tokyo, which were abstract forms of watercolor and oil on paper. But then she later began covering larger surfaces, such as walls, floors, canvases, household objects, and eventually naked assistants. So she started getting real freaky-deaky with art. And she painted all of these large objects with polka dots. So polka dots ended up becoming a trademark of her work. And still to this day, when you look at polka dots, it's largely because of Yayoi's 
So she explained polka dots to be like in her imagination, like a vast field of infinity nets. So mm-hmm. like all of her art, like imagine like a, an enormous building with just like tons of little dots and different sizes all over the entire thing. Like to us, that's a polka dot, but to her, it was like an infinity of like a net. So she was just like seeing all kinds of stuff. And she created this art literally like directly from her hallucination. So what wow. she was experiencing in her eyes and her head and her own life, she was then putting on art, which I think is actually really cool. Because, like, I imagine that hallucinating would be very scary at times, especially, like, if you're in a public environment and, like, you're just completely out of it. But she's almost, like, channeling this stuff into her art and, like, experiencing it, but, like, putting it somewhere. So it's not just, like, constantly floating in the abyss. I feel like when you look back at history, a lot of the artists that are very well known actually did experience some sort of like mental health like hallucination type you know experience that led them to do what they do which I think is really interesting because I do think that there's a beauty behind it but obviously it can be Mm -hmm. torture too which is why most of them also ended up typically committing suicide yes it it can get dark and like Yayoi's life totally ends up going in that direction but I think like the positive in it is that she's she's doing what she can with what she's going through and that's mm-hmm. putting it on art and out into the world so it's almost yeah. like releasing it you know it's yeah. like okay i'm going through this but now i'm putting it out on the paper and i'm putting it out in the world and it's gone it's being released yeah so she's like actively funneling or she's like she's like being proactive about what she's going through love it and so in 1957 she decided to leave japan for the u.s because she knew she'd have a better opportunity with this avant-garde art style out in the states so she went to new york and at 27 years old she arrived she went all the way to the top of the empire state building looked out into the city and she promised herself that she would conquer new york and make a name for herself as an artist love that you go girl this is the 1950s, and art was aggressively male-dominated. Oh, I bet. And it was very difficult for any female to become an artist. So this was going to be a huge task for Yayoi. Especially and, as someone who, like, just moved to a new country. <laughs> yeah, and also just with the war. Like, I have no doubt there is, like, a lot of lingering racism that was taking oh, yeah. place towards Japanese people. So for her to just, like, come here... And, like, start this art, you know, business when men are typically the ones running it. it, All of that combined created a lot of challenges, extra challenges for her in particular. But she did it anyway. And so when she arrived, the first, like, bit of art that she revealed was her polka dot art. And everyone loved it. And it was kind of, like, the first time that minimalist art hit the States because prior to this, they were in a lot of, like, expressionist art. So I think they're still doing, like, landscapes and, like, portraits and shit like that. And she came in and was like, no, we're doing bright colors, designs, <laughs> objects, like, lots of weird abstract shit. And it was just new for the the time period. And so it was a big hit. And it actually ended up influencing a lot of the already popular artists to kind of start transitioning into this direction. So she already instantly hit the ground running and started kind of, like, changing the vibe of art in the U.S. And 
She became quickly really popular for her infinity paintings, which kind of like what I already described with the polka dots, it's like thousands of little marks on a large piece of canvas. But for her, when she stood back and like looked at these pieces of art, she would basically see hallucinations and she like became surrounded by the visions of what she was seeing. So like, I think what she was really trying to do is like show the world like what she saw on a day to day basis through these massive like installation pieces that she created. And about 10 or a couple of years later, now we're in the 60s. So psychedelics are booming. Life is like politically heavy right now with the civil rights movement and the sexual liberation. And so she started creating a new sort of capsule of art, which was her series of soft phallic sculptures, aka penis art. What? (laughs) Oh my god, I love this transition. (laughs) Which I find interesting because of like all the trauma she experienced with sex in her youth. It was probably because of that. Like, yes, totally. You know, I can see that being empowering for her of like, yep. I had to go through all of this and now I'm going to take that and like make a name of it, you know? Yes. And the way that she did that was by attaching phallic sculptures all over the walls, the floors, the furniture and everyday objects. And she used like repetition in her art. So there'd be like 2,000 phallic images in, like, one clump that people would walk into a museum and look at and just be like, whoa. (laughs) I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that museum, like, just a bunch of people staring at penises. Can you imagine? And they're, like... Oh, they're they almost they I mean they aren't actual penises. They look more like some type of like worm. It's not Ew. cute. It's not cute. It's not I cute. I don't think penises are cute anyways. <laughs> no, it's not good. Uh but people were it was a hit. And I think it's because one, like everybody was very sexually liberated at this time and like feminists were on the rise and people you know, are curious too. Like people just like love things that are on edge. You yes, know? totally. And This is also around the time that, like, Andy Warhol is booming. And Mm -hmm. so Yayoi and Andy Warhol were actually really good friends. Wow. Very close friends. But they had a little bit of beef because it wasn't until Yayoi came into town and started using, like, all this repetition in her art that then Andy Warhol started using all kinds of repetition in his art. Mm. And so... There's controversy between the two and that Yayoi feels like Andy Warhol ripped off a lot of her ideas. And again, like I mentioned earlier, it was a very male-dominated art scene and the men were thriving and female artists would come in and maybe they were introducing new things that men were taking as their own. We don't really know. But that's kind of the story that Yayoi is kind of putting out there in the art community that she's wow. kind of like, hey, what the hell, dude? I came here and did this, and now suddenly all your art's exactly, like, the kind of stuff I'm making. And, like, screw you because you're a man <laughs> and I'm a woman, and, like, he probably, <laughs> like, made it bigger and better than she did. Yeah, know? yeah. And, like, the one thing, though, that she was very prideful of is that, like, a lot of Andy Warhol's art was predominantly around pop culture like he was big into the Marilyn Monroe images Mm -hmm. he had like a canned soup thing going and she was more about like major art installations that sort of merged architecture and art in one so he was never doing anything like that and that's kind of what her argument was like fine you can try and rip off my style but you can never do like the mass types of like events and exhibitions that I'm creating so 
She continued to elaborate on that, and she started using mirrors in her installations, which also, like, added on to that idea of repetition. Because if you're in, like, a big giant mirror room, you're just seeing yourself, you know, like, by the trillions, like a fun house. So she basically, like, brought that into existence and, like, created infinity rooms in her art installations. When you first said infinity rooms, I was thinking, like, infinity pools. So I'm glad that this is going where it's going. I was like, (laughs) that's interesting. Yeah, no, like, those fun houses at, like, the carnival or something. So true. Um, And she created those because she wanted the viewer to, like, be a part of the art. So depending on how they moved in the room, what they saw changed. And, like, it was – they had the power to create their own – art visual basically and so this was a really big hit as well but she wanted to reach audiences like far beyond art galleries so she kept expanding and she ended up doing like anti-war art demonstrations she hosted a bunch of fashion shows and she did a lot of like immersive art experiences like body paint festivals so she was just like doing all the shit she was like the og experiential marketing girl (laughs) yes And then she really hit her groundbreaking moment in 1966 when she was invited to to Italy to go to the Venice Biennial, which I think was like some kind of like art thing. And she wasn't invited inside to set up an exhibit of her own, but they were like, oh, well, you can be outside and set up an exhibit on the front lawn. (laughs) What? So when people are like walking by to come into the exhibit, they'll like see you first. But, she but was hey, just like, that's, like, honestly okay. probably more powerful. Yeah, so she she went and she did it and she set up her exhibit, which I don't think they knew what it was until it was happening. Oh, no. But she basically called it Narcissist Garden. And it was made up of 1,500 small mirrored balls that were, like, in a big giant pile. And then in the front of it was a sign that said, your narcissism is for sale. And so people would basically, like, approach the exhibit, see all these little mirrored balls, like, seeing themselves in the balls because they're mirrored, and then, like, taking pictures and, like, getting a kick out of it, which was, like, proving the point of the exhibit. Like, you are a narcissist because you're here looking at yourself and feeling like you're this bougie art person at this art festival in Italy. (laughs) Wow, I love this girl. She's awesome. So, like, all was fine and well until she started selling the mirrored balls to the people that were there for two bucks a pop. Basically be like, take your narcissism ball with you before you go. Pay me two dollars. And it eventually got her kicked out. So they got pissed and they were like, you're fucking with us. Um, what but you're like, doing. like, in her defense, <laughs> didn't she have a sign that said your narcissism is for sale? So... She set the precedent. She did. But, like, her whole pitch was basically throwing up a middle finger to the event. And they were not okay with it. So they kicked her out. But that's, like, one of the biggest things people remember about her because it was just hysterical. And it's so telling of who she was as an artist. And then later that year, she created something that's called a – it's called an obliteration room, which is – a traveling installation and it's continued to travel since 2002 so this has been going on for a long time and so basically the room starts off like completely white and it's filled with all white furniture and then visitors come in they're given a pack of like colorful polka dot stickers and then they just like bomb the entire room and the whole art piece is literally just watching the room transform which the visitors get to do on their own and so so cool. I love yeah. it. Yeah. She's just like, you know what it reminds me of too today? Like, haven't you seen on Instagram, like the ice cream museum? Yes. Or like all these little like 
walk in and experience the the art that's basic she she coined that she, she was invented the OG. that <laughs> yes totally and it's funny because it's the same thing where when people go to these ice cream museums or whatever they are they're taking pictures of themselves at the museum you know so true like that's what they're ex- created for <laughs> which is exactly like her her mirrored balls being like yeah come look at my big exhibit and just really all you're doing is t- f- photographing yourself with art and so She went on to do all kinds of different types of experiential rooms. Another one she did that was really popular was like a pitch black room that was had like a bunch of different light fixtures hanging from the ceiling and it sort of gave this like cosmic space effect. So she was always looking for a way to make people imagine themselves in like infinity. That was what she loved the most was like there isn't ever an end. It just keeps going and going and you I'm going to put you to a place where you can imagine that in your own life. So, was she still having hallucinations at this point? I'm curious. I think forever. So I actually okay. was not able to find any information in any article that I looked up on her or YouTube video that ever provided a diagnosis of like what she may have been experiencing mentally. Couldn't find it. So I don't think that she was ever probably diagnosed in her youth. I don't know that she was on any kind of medication. I think she just was like free willy out in the world. Huh. So basically, she was creating all of this incredible art. People were loving it. It was a huge hit. She was, like, making waves in the art industry. But she was not profiting financially at all. And the shitty thing about this is that many of the male artists that were also out in the world at the same time as her, she felt... Cough, cough, Andy Warhol. Copying a lot of her ideas and her style, and they were making millions. And so she hit a dark spot in her life where she just felt like why the fuck are people stealing my shit and making millions off of it and I can't even make a dime like this is bull <laughs> so she got to a really dark place yeah, and no she she attempted suicide a couple of different times and there's also like information that at certain points in previously in the story I just told that she did hit dark periods then as well where she had to be like medically treated for just like minor breakdowns like Mm. I think this woman was like her life was art so that's what she was doing 24 hours a day and I think she invested so much into it that that her body would like kind of give up and be like okay we need a break and so she would like actually like push herself to the point that she had to like go into a hospital and take a break so she was like not healthy um but she was doing her art and loving it and then this kind of thing happened with the money and the people stealing her stuff and so she hit a low point attempted a suicide a couple of times and then she ended up moving back to japan like she was like i'm not well i'm not feeling good like i'm going back home so it was like 1973 she went back to japan and she ended up starting to like do a bunch of new shit she started writing books short stories she became a poet so she like kept the creative juices flowing but started trying a couple of new things and then in 1977 a couple years later she ended up admitting herself to a hospital for the mentally ill and she has continued to live there for the rest of her life up until today she is still alive oh that's cool and she's how how old is she she's 92 whoa (laughs) That is so cool. And she's living there by choice. She's never been like 
admitted without her will. She basically walked in and was like, I'm going to live here now for forever. And that's a decision I'm making for myself. She probably knew for her. that like, if I don't, if I don't stay here, like I might not survive kind of a thing. Yeah. So she just made the choice for herself that I'm going to live at this mental health hospital for the rest of my life. So that's where she lives. She's still alive, 92. And today, you will often see her around Tokyo sporting a bright red wig with lots of colorful polka dot clothing. She has an art studio that's only a short distance away from her hospital in Tokyo. She has a team of assistants, a space for painting, a space for her library, and an archive of her work. And she goes in every day from nine to five and works like a regular everyday professional. Wow. (laughs) I love Um, it. I know. At 92, by the way. That's incredible. (laughs) And so... When she left New York in the 1970s, as I mentioned before I started, she was, like, forgotten. She was completely wiped away. We forgot all about Yayoi. She's off the, you know, she's out of here. Like, she's done. And that continued on for several years until, like, the early 1990s. So, like, maybe 20 years she just was, like, erased from art history. And then in 1990, for what, I don't even know why this happened or how, but a couple different museums ended up like creating these retros retrospective exhibits where they featured her old art in their exhibits. And so in the 1990s, people visited these museums, saw her art, were like, oh, who is this? And like it amped back up again. So that's so cool. And then since that happened, she has been featured in various museums in countries around the world. And then in 2016... She was named one of the most influential people in the world by Time Magazine, and her artwork goes for record-breaking multi-million dollar prices at auctions, and her her exhibitions have drawn insanely large crowds, and they have, like, sold out tickets everywhere. And then in 2020, last year, the, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, Hershorn Museum in Washington, D.C. announced that they would debut a new Yayoi exhibit, which included two infinity mirror rooms and an upcoming show called One with Eternity. So that's literally happening last year. Wow. That is Girl so is hitting cool. her stride at 92 <laughs> years old. I love it. Well, she's like coming back. She's like, you forgot, but I'm there is no forgetting. I'm back, bitches. And so, like, obviously, needless to say, her mental illness is largely what prompted her creative side. And, like, she continued to be a creative artist regardless of the fact that she grew up in a very patriarchal Japanese society in the 1920s. She had zero support from her parents or anybody in her family. And she went on to become one of the most important artists of her era while battling mental health issues and suicide attempts. Wow. And so it's just mind-blowing that she was able to accomplish all these things given all those other areas that were against her. And she was quoted to say, if it were not for art, I would have killed myself a long time ago. Which is so sad. Art is seriously such a creative outlet for people, though. Like, I've always been a performer and singing and dancing and performing has gotten me through some of my darkest moments, too. It's like it allows you to like step into this different realm that heals you. It's like it is really healing. They, I think they even now have like art and music therapy that yeah. like people are professionally trained in to do. 
Yeah, and I think she also used her art as therapy for her hallucinations and her mm-hmm. mental health problems. So it's like if she like she's right. If she didn't do that, she probably would have likely killed herself. But because uh-huh. she figured out a way to like channel that out of her, it kept her alive and thriving. And not only that, but like becoming one of the most influential artists in history. <laughs> I love it. That's so Isn't amazing. That nuts? And what I an inspiration. It's so cool because you often feel like these are your the things that are dragging you down. These are the things that are destroying your life. These are the things that are like your biggest downfall. And for her, like the minute that she owned it and committed to it and ran with it, it was the thing that brought her the most gratification, the most success, the most love, the most adoration to the point that she's 92 alive and kicking ass, still doing art, and having exhibits. I feel like her story is, like, one of those great examples of somebody that just, like, kept going and, like, owned it and ran with it. And, like, she didn't deny who she was. She was like, I fucking hallucinate and I'm gonna put it on my art. And it worked for her. And not only did she survive, but she became a very well-known, prestigious artist that influenced God, who knows? People like Andy Warhol who may or may not have ripped her off. So yeah. high wow. five to Yayoi Kusama. Kudos to her. Yeah. Wow. I'm so actually supposed to go to Tokyo um, sometime within the next year. So no maybe I'll have to go to one of her exhibits. And maybe I'll search for her polka dots and red hair Dude, on the street. Dude, if you saw her, <laughs> that would I'll, be, I'll, def- I'll take a video. You wouldn't miss her. You would no, I definitely her. would not. I'll have to keep my eyes peeled. <laughs> Oh my god, that would be so cool. So yeah, that's Yayoi. I love it. I love that there's so much similarity. Like, it's not similar, but it is similar to who I have today, too. Oh my god, well, let's hear it. Let's do it. Okay, so, drum roll, please. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I thought, it, I thought it would be kind of fun to feature a woman who just recently made history. Like, she seriously did make history for people like me who are aspiring entrepreneurs. Whitney Wolfherd. Do you know who she is? No, I don't. She's the founder of Bumble. Oh my God. I'm actually so happy that you covered her. <laughs> I like the minute I, I, I do know who she is. I, I know most people name. don't know her name. That's okay. Yeah. I don't That's know why her I name. wanted to bring her up. You're like, pick someone who most people don't know. I'm like, yeah, probably don't know who she is, but she literally just made history. Oh my God. I'm so into this for a couple of reasons. One, I met my boyfriend on Bumble. No way. Yes. So that's hilarious. I have a personal connection to Whitney. I love it. (laughs) Um, But I also, this is like really like groundbreaking news in the now. And the minute I saw an article about her, I was like, fuck yes. Wrote her down on my list, which I probably wouldn't end up covering her for a long time. So I'm so happy you're doing it. And let's get into it. I need to know all the deets. It's really interesting. I don't know if you know anything about her story, but it is so interesting. Okay. So we'll like blaze through the like first part of her life. Like she is now I think she's 31 32 I should I should know that I think she's 31 I think she's 31 so she came from kind of a privileged background like she was raised in Salt Lake City Utah she spent sabbaticals in Paris as a teen and she attended SMU Southern Methodist University which is funny because my mom actually went there for a year and while she was in college she kind of got that entrepreneurship 
uh, itch a little bit. And at 20, she started a business selling bamboo tote bags to benefit areas affected by the BP oil spill, if you remember when that happened. And then she partnered with a celebrity stylist to launch a nonprofit organization called Help Us Project. And the bags received like huge national press after like Rachel Zoe, Nicole Richie, like there's tons of celebs photographed using them. So that was like kind of her like first entrepreneur moment. And soon after, she introduced a second business called Tender Heart, which was a clothing line dedicated to raising awareness about human trafficking in fair trade. Yeah, she was like a badass from day one. Well, Um, also like a lot of like activism. Yes. Centered content. We'll get back to. Like she cares so deeply about like making the planet a better place, which you don't see in her like active story of Mm -hmm. what she's done, but you'll see in like the changes she's made, which I appreciate that about her. Mm -hmm. It's like she's an act, like she acts on things rather than just like saying she does things, you know? Yeah. Love women like that. So after that, she actually moved to Southeast Asia where she worked with orphanages and then, like most of us 20-somethings, and this is part of the reason why I chose her, she graduated from SMU, moved in with her mom because she had no idea what she wanted to do with her life, like literally just like lost in abyss like I was. And she actually ended up going to a dinner party, so random, meeting a random guy at the dinner party with her friends. It was like kind of just like random people she didn't know. And he was working for this incubator that was focused on startup apps. And he was talking to her and he was telling her about this thing called Cartify, which is like kind of like Apple, like the modern day Apple Pay. Like Uh you go in, like you have the app, you use the app to pay, blah, blah, blah. At that time, like 2000s, that was not a thing. Like Mm -hmm. apps are just up and running. So she was like, hey, I think I could help you market this. Like, why don't we talk about it? He was like, yeah, cool. Call me tomorrow. We'll figure out time for you to come interview. Called him first thing in the morning, next day, 8 a.m. He was not expecting it. <laughs> and just so everyone knows, he is Sean Rad, CEO of Tinder. Now, oh shit. Well, That's who she not met anymore. At this party? Yes. <laughs> so he was working on this app called Cartify. Basically, it was a flop. Then they ended up starting this app called Matchbox, which is basically a flirting app. Like it wasn't a dating app, it was just an app where you go flirt with people. And ironically enough, they were on the same floor in LA as match.com. So super bizarre. Like, how does that happen? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's weird. That's just like pure irony. So met Sean Rad, started working for him. He obviously gave her the job because she's a badass and sat on the same floor as match.com. And then they, after Cartify flopped and Matchbox flopped, they were like, we need to think of something new and exciting. So came in Tinder. She was one of the co-founders of Tinder, although she doesn't get the credit for being a co-founder of Tinder, which I'll get into. And she basically was a co-founder because of she her marketing experience. Like she was just a really great marketing person. And how she did that was she marketed to college students. So she was like, I think this app would be a great fit for SMU. I think it would really work. Let me just go like pitch it to all these college students, see if we get downloads. Like at this point, they didn't even have hundreds of downloads. It was like very minimal, like not even at the hundred point. So she flew to SMU, her old college. She literally, I love this part of the story. She took her best friend who still went there. This was only a year after she graduated from college. So she still had a friend there, took a picture of her, put her on the app, like photoshopped it, blah, 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 printed out thousands of copies and said, 
um, find out who likes who on campus and then printed out all these flyers and literally hired people on the street, gave them $20, just put these flyers everywhere on campus. And then they literally went into sororities one night, pitched all these girls like, oh my gosh, all these great guys are on Tinder. You need to find them. Like very Bachelor-esque, like you want to be on this app. Then the next night they went to the fraternities and were like, oh boys, like you need to be on this app because all these sorority girls signed up last night and this is the best way to meet them. Like no more random mingling at parties. Like now you know where to find the girls beforehand. And basically she just like, told them what they wanted to hear and <laughs> got hundreds and hundreds of downloads within like three days for this That app. does not surprise me. At one university. <laughs> I am not and this surprised like, that the dudes jumped on that in a heartbeat. Right? Exactly. Like they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds great. So she also, I forgot to mention, the, the name behind Tinder, she came up with that. So that is all her. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And it was inspired by real life tinder so if you think about it tinder is like the easy combustible material that you start a fire with like oh you're starting a fire with someone there's a flame there interesting i know and that relates back to she factor even in a way because what we call we have these nine spheres that we focus on all different areas of your life what we call the love sphere is flame and i was like oh "Oh, no way i love that (laughs) love 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 that so then the story goes awry so she ended up taking it even bigger, going to University of Utah, where she also knew people because that's where she grew up. And everyone was like, that's not going to be successful in Utah. Everyone gets married really young and like yeah. is Mormon. Why would that work? Well, they need to get married young. So that's how they met people. Oh, and no they way. like literally Utah is how Tinder grew, like grew that and blew ironic. up. That I know. That doesn't even make sense. Because now people think of it as like a hookup app. But it actually back then like – it helped them meet each other out of their social circles and get married super young and then do their thing. So Utah, the secret weapon here. So she was actually dating one of the other original co-founders of Tinder named Justin Mateen and ends up that they have a really bad end to their relationship. He sends her a lot of terrible text messages and Basically, they end up like going against her. Poor girl. Like literally, she ended up suing Tinder for sexual harassment, (gasps) alleging that her ex-boss and her ex-boyfriend were threatening her with derogatory text messages and basically alleged that Tinder and Match Group, which was the spinoff of Tinder, like had completely wrongly stripped her of her co-founder title, which... If you look now, like no one gives her credit for co-founding Tinder at all. And she was one of the co-founders. So I thought I'd just pull up some of the text messages <laughs> oh, if you're no. okay with that. Oh, yes. And since I, I can cuss, right? Yes. Because there's a lot of cussing. So TMZ reports that Wolf is suing her former employer. Then this is what she says. She says Mateen called her a whore in front of the CEO, imploring her not to look at him with her ugly eyes, quote unquote. So charming, isn't that? And then Mr. Mateen and Mr. Rad, this is all in the report 
So that's why I'm saying that. I'm literally yeah. reading from the report. Subjected Mrs. Wolf to barrage of horrendously sexist, racist, and otherwise inappropriate comments, emails, and text messages, including describing one person as a liberal, lying, desperate slut, and others as middle-aged Muslim pigs, and referring, for example, to fucking the wife of a prominent blogger and a text depicting one of their employees and chairman as a penis. What? So crazy. So obviously we're getting like some really like misogynist, alpha male, like frat-like vibes here, right? It gets worse. And she then, when she would ask why only her name of the five founders was absent from this list when an article was released, they told her that it was because you're a girl and it makes the company look like it was an accident. Whoa. Yeah. Then... Basically, they said she wasn't listed as the co-founder of Tinder because it would be slutty if a hookup app had a woman founder. And then they told her to be like a good girl and stay away from other men for a period of six months, during of which time he would the founder would evaluate her to determine whether she was worthy of being with him or whether she was the slut that he considered her to be. Like, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And literally at the end of all of this, the creative director of Tinder at the time wanted to have sex with her because of her co-founder title or, or sorry wait rewind I'm messing this up it's okay they wanted somebody wanted to write an article about how awesome it was that she was like a young female co-founder of a very hot dating app blah 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 and so she was like okay yeah great marketing opportunity I'm going to do this piece it'll be great publicity whatever Mr. Mateen so the ex-boyfriend claimed that the creative director was only doing it to have sex with her and because she had a co-founder title and he became so angry that he threatened to fuck the creative director's wife and said that he would be a handyman for his backyard and will be on a leash like literally all of this like (laughs) I wanted to read these text messages because it just goes to show that like people don't think this shit happens but this happens and this was in freaking 2013 like it wasn't that long ago it also just sounds like these dudes are young and immature too Right, were which they? they all were. Yeah, this she was 22 at this point. But they were By also By the time like she left Tinder. Too? I think she was probably like somewhat similar age. Okay. Yeah, it just so, sounds like a bunch of douchebags like Yeah. <laughs> oh so God. crazy. But but the worst part was that like she experienced all of this internally. Like she couldn't talk to anyone about it really because like it was her ex-boyfriend, her boss, like you know, what was she supposed to do? But then once this all came out, Like, people, the way people spoke about her online and, like, made her seem literally just drained every ounce of confidence that she could have ever had. Like, they were calling her a whore and a slut. And, like, how dare she? And, like, she's not a co-founder. She's not capable. She's not worthy. And she even had people, like, reaching out to her family members, like, knocking on her window of her apartment. Like, TMZ knocking on her window being like, hey, we want your quote. Like, she was 24 and had never been in the public light before. Like, how do you handle that as someone no. who's never never been in the public terrifying. light? Like, terrifying. So obviously really traumatic. Really took a toll on her mental health too. And she said, like, she was only 25 and basically the internet threatened her success for the rest of her life. Like, she didn't know where she was supposed to go from there. You can't go get a job when your name is plastered all over TMZ and, like, the internet, especially no. at the, the height of that internet era so 
she really felt like there was this huge problem with lack of online accountability. Like, think about if this is happening to her. Like, what is happening on a 13-year-old's phone every day? Oh, my God. I know. It's horrible. It's so bad. And now, especially with, like, TikTok and, like, all these other platforms, it's even worse. So she really brought up this concern of, like, how is social media affecting us all? Like, if this is affecting me the way it is, how is it affecting everyone else and the future generation? And she had this moment where she was like, you know what? I miss creating. I have this itch. And I, like, even though I'm in a really dark place, I still have that ambition, that drive. Like, you can you can kill my confidence, but you can't kill my ambition and my drive, which is, I think, freaking awesome of her. Like, how many people can have that realization, especially in the midst of a really dark spot of their life? Yeah. So she decided to change what she hated about what she saw in the world and wanted to build something more kind. So she started working on this new app called Merci. 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 How do you say that in, like, a French accent? Like, Merci? Merci. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And basically what it was was a women's social network where they could use only compliments to talk to each other. Oh my god. And really cool idea that actually if you think idea. about it. And at the time she was also reached out to by an old friend who ended up being her business partner now and he owned this company called Badoo. And it's actually the world's largest dating platform, but no one knows heard, about it because I feel it's, like I've heard of it. Yeah, it's mostly known in other countries like London and India. Well, London's not a country. I don't – it's just so everyone knows I'm not that dumb. But in the UK and India, yes. um, those are its two biggest markets in China. Um, so he owned Badoo and founded Badoo. And he basically said, I want to hire you as my CMO. And she was like, hell to the no. I don't want to work in dating at all. I'm yeah. working on building this new thing. Like, why would I go back to dating? I had this terrible experience. And he was like, well, wait, what if you built this app that you want to build, but you did it in dating? And she was like, again, no. But the more she thought about it, she was like, you know what? Like women really do need to be empowered in the dating space. Like men are really raised to be like this go-getter or what they say, like go get her. Like they're raised to chase women and be pretty aggressive in that pursuit and women are raised to be passive and like hard to get and it's kind of the inverse of that which sets them both up for failure and it's not an empowering dating experience it lets men down because they're the girls are playing hard to get and women also get set up for a lot more abuse yeah. and it's a terrible cycle so she was like okay actually I think I could turn this into a really empowering platform for women to have a good dating experience online which at the time was just unheard of yeah so basically for those of you who haven't experienced bumble it's really cool because when you when members of the opposite sex match on bumble women are required to make the first move and now they have the feature that if you match with somebody of the same sex it anyone can make the first move so you don't it's not just a heterosexual platform okay um but basically, it like shifts that old-fashioned power dynamic and encourages more equality, which I'm all about. And I also love this because she came up with Tinder, the name. She the way, the way they came up with Bumble is even better. One of her employees, they only had like three employees at the time, came in and was calling her husband a bumbling idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and ended up thinking further about it and she's like oh my gosh like queen bee find your honey on bumble building your hive like it made a huge yeah marketing impact she's like, like so she's cute creatively like 
can analyze things and think of stuff. I know. That's nuts. It's really impressive. And she's still only 25 at this point. Still only 25. I'm 25. Like, that that is crazy. Yeah. So she's actually then, well, I guess fast forward. Obviously, Bubble blew up. You know, it's huge dating app now. It was named one of business. She was named one of Business Insider's 30 Most Important Women Under 30 in Tech in 2014. 2016, she was named one of Elle's Women in Tech. She was named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2017 and 2018. And then in 2019, Tinder and Mubble were the first and second most popular dating apps in the U.S. And Tinder offered to buy Bumble for $450 million. Whoa. Did she say no? Let me just read her response. <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot of me reading, but it's just, no, perfect. It, you can't, yeah, you can't you make can't. this shit up. Dear Match Group, which is the parent group of Tinder now. Dear Match Group, we swipe left on you. <laughs> we swipe left on multiple attempts to buy us, copy us, and now intimidate us. We'll never be yours, no matter the price tag. We'll never compromise our values. We, a woman-found, women-led company, aren't scared of aggressive corporate culture. That's what we call bullying, and we swipe left on bullies. Oh, my God. Might drop. Sting, bitch. <laughs> That's but actually, crazy. though, because girls just went public, and she is the youngest woman self-made female billionaire and she's approximately worth $1.5 billion. And she's also number 39 of the top 100 America's richest self-made women. Whoa. So, see a Tinder, like, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> yeah, get out of here with your trash dudes. We're over the fucking fish and the dick pics. Like, exactly. with. <laughs> but, you know, like, in a real, like, honest way, like, she... Not only did she create this because of her own experience, like going through what she did, like she wanted to just create a more open, welcoming, kind space on the internet. Like let's empower women to take the first move and to create their own destiny and not have all of this BS on the internet, which included her also changing so many other things about the platform too, like zero tolerance for bad behavior, everything's self-reported, they they block hate speech. They have just re- really created like a clean and safe community. And she's also testified before the Texas House criminal um, jury prudis. I don't know what the heck that is. <laughs> the jury, I guess. Um, commu- committee about the prevalence of unsolicited explicit photos sent to female users on dating mm-hmm. applications and is currently trying to get, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? When you try and get something passed. Oh, uh, <laughs> legislation passed. passed. <laughs> I have no idea. She's currently trying to get legislation okay. passed to like basically not have men send dick pics to women on dating apps, which is freaking awesome. Um, she like also has the app because I didn't know you could even. I feel like I didn't. I, don't I think she's trying to get it passed to... in general. Okay, yeah. I think it's just like. How do you prevent people from sending naked pictures to you? Like, Ugh. have you ever gotten like a random airdrop where people airdrop you random dick pics? No, I've never had that happen to me. But I had a girlfriend where she got a lot of pretty gnarly dick pics. And it it's just mortifying. I remember one time she told me that she'd been dating this dude who was like literally like working for the government, had some kind of like title in the government. And he just like 
the conversation had never gone sexual. It was totally platonic, nothing weird. And then he randomly sent her a picture in the middle of the workday where he was like sitting on a toilet, probably like taking a shit or just like naked on a toilet. And then like sent a picture of his dick in his hand in like a public (laughs) restroom on the toilet. Oh, (laughs) God. Like, why do you guys think that's attractive? She was like, what a moron. Like, you work for the government. Like, you realize, like... Yeah, that too. Like, I could, like, probably report you for sexual harassment. This would go in your, like, government file. Like, how are you that dumb? And, like, how disgusting is this? This is the grossest gross. thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, So gross. <sighs> I'm glad that I've been in a relationship as long as I have because <laughs> I could not handle that. But it's terrible. Oh. So she's trying to change that. She's also trying to change the fact that more women should get VC funding. She's the youngest female to take a company public ever, which is so cool. Um, She's changing the way that we look at maternity leave. Like when she got pregnant in 2019, they basically announced like all these new parental benefits for Bumble employees, including like bonuses, paid leave, flexible start times. And they were already like pretty good. Like they were receiving four months of paid leave, a thousand dollar bonuses to offset like all of the childcare costs while at work and had the flexible timing. But they upped that, which you don't hear much of these days in, t- in companies that big. Like, no, there is there is a lot of work to be done when it comes to maternity leave and maternal rights and all of that comes with it she actually held her one-year-old son when she cut the ribbon at the nasdaq exchange when they went public so that's like a huge moment for women like you can be a 1.5 billion heir and have a one-year-old son and freaking kill it at life like you don't have to sacrifice your whole entire job and career to have kids you can have it all so that's really cool. She, um, yeah, it's it's just taken off. She just actually, so Babu, who it was under, mm-hmm. they just, Bumble replaced Babu. Oh, no Badu. way. Badu. Yeah, Badu. so Bumble so is now. Gone? The, no, Badu is still a thing, but they're underneath Bumble. Oh, shit. Yeah. So um, they have over 100 million subscribers worldwide. It's pretty crazy. And um, yeah, I mean, being the first Sorry, not the first, but the youngest female to ever take a a company public is pretty freaking awesome. Like that is so rare. And it topped a $13 billion valuation after they listed it on the NASDAQ exchange. So just a badass. But like think about how hard it was for her. Like, I mean, it probably was pretty empowering thinking like, okay, bye Tinder. Like here I am. But like she had that all over the internet her whole entire time she's building company like even when I'm reaching out to people like to be on my podcast I'm like oh gosh if they did some searching they could find some some bs on me but like (laughs) her bs is all over the internet like you can't hide it people knew she was and like she dealt with a lot of mental health issues at the same time this is where I like relate it back to your girl your what is her name yeah yow yeah yow (laughs) is she channeled her mental health issues and her experiences into creating something better for the world and like creating something that she felt like the world needed and it obviously paid off better for her a lot better than Yao Yao but it goes to show that there's still a lot of work for us to do for women and like she did it but how it wouldn't be that easy for anyone else you know Mm -hmm. like she freaking did it at 31 like that is so cool 
That's yeah. goals. Yeah, I almost feel like, I mean, she obviously had a lot of passion and determination and confidence, but I feel like she also, like, the things she was pursuing, she was in the, like, the right time, the right place, the right people, and, like, she, I mean, she just, she nailed it. She, like, knew what was what was of interest right in the time that, like, technology was booming. You know, just like as we were talking earlier, like, loved we loved MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to launch She Factor back in like 2012, 2013. Like, <laughs> it is, it's like, why is it today, like, going back to that issue of like, how do we address social media? Like, how is it affecting our lives? Like, it can be a really empowering space, like something like Bumble, where now they have BFF, Bumble BFF, and Bumble Biz, yeah. and, and Bumble Dating. Like, it's really empowering in some ways this like social media and technology. But like, if it goes the wrong way, like, look what it did to her life. Like, it, it, she almost killed herself multiple yeah. times because she had no direction, no sense of, of any life left given that, like, everyone had turned against her yeah. on the internet. Random trolls, like, making her feel like she was a whore and a slut and all these oh, things. God. It's terrible. It is. I know. It's It can be so dark or it can be so positive. It's like, it, you. I don't know. You. I don't know how you how you figure out how to get on what side of, of the social media – I think you have to be in control of it, but it's so hard to be in control of it. Like, think about a 10-year-old on social media. Like, they don't know how to control it. No. So I don't know what the answer is. I think the answer is, like, having more platforms like Bumble or, like, She Factor or, like, your podcast. Like, places that people can turn to for positive information and inspiration where Mm -hmm. they can feel that that's a safe space for them to be. Like, the more people that create those platforms and spaces for people, the less there will be this like negative really damaging area of media and technology totally i know and that's that's the beauty in it is that like there weren't a lot of those things in the past other Mm -hmm. than like hey let's all congregate in my house all 10 of us (laughs) and talk like that (laughs) you know like the old like purse like the purse parties or like the like mary Kay parties like that was like the it thing (laughs) so yeah that's Whitney. She just made history like literally not even a month ago. And there's still a lot of work for us to do in this space. But at least people are out there doing it. You know? I mean, I can't even imagine what more she's going to bring to the world. Like, I know. The, the They're at 31. Things she's already done. That's crazy. I know. It's so Whoa. cool. Like I look at that and I look at so many of the inspiring women that I have in my network. And I'm like, we're heading in a good direction. Like I have such hope. Yeah. That's so exciting. I just, I mean, I love that she's just paved this new dating way for women to just power on and also to just say we're over the, the bullshit. Like, we're over well, the, and all the of this, gnarly shit. This was all happening during the Me Too era, like, right in the brink of it, too, when yeah. all of this was happening. So, like you said about luck, like, this, this is also happening, like, right yeah. in the middle of that. So that was also kind of a little bit of luck, but yeah. also a little bit of power. Like, good for you for standing up to that situation and creating something out of it yeah and you know what as somebody who's used a lot of dating apps like so many fucking dating apps like even like the dating websites like plenty of fish I was on like plenty of fish when I was like 24 (laughs) I've never been on dating apps I think they're so I think they're so interesting well I have a boyfriend so (laughs) not gonna happen I'm a serial I'm a serial dater so I I never have been on dating apps because I go from long-term relationship to the next (laughs) no you're very lucky but just like somebody who has done literally every single one it's 
well-known knowledge that Tinder is the gnarliest. So, yes, you know, I'm so happy that they have ended up becoming the shitty reputation that they projected onto Whitney. Like, they ended Mm -hmm. up becoming that. Their whole platform's garbage. Like, women don't go on Tinder anymore. They're disgusted by it. And typically, the men that are on Tinder are lower quality than the men that are on Bumble. So, yeah. Sorry. So true. Because because the men that are on Bumble or platforms like Bumble, Hinge, whatever, like, all of the it dating apps have the courage to say, like, that's not okay. Like, I'm not going to do that BS. Hopefully, you would think. Yeah. Like, think if they they're willing to, like. specifically so that women right. don't think they're gross. <laughs> like, they want. And maybe there's some guys out there who, like, go on Bumble just to, like, have the reassurance that, like, a girl's reaching out to them and giving them a pickup line. I don't know. But, like, good for you men who go on those platforms and, like, respect women and, like, are doing it right and not putting people down like they did to Whitney. So sad. Yeah, so sad. It's disgusting. But you know what? She threw up the middle finger and said, sorry. <laughs> I swipe left on Bye. you. I love that. 400 million isn't enough. <laughs> I, I just love that she was like, we swipe left on you, Tinder. <laughs> Bye. Oh, my God. They're probably fuming. They're really dying. Yep. Sorry, sexy I, I would have loved, loved <laughs> to see that. Her ex-boyfriend's face. Like, can you imagine? No. And you know that dude's probably still sliding into the DMs. You know he's hitting her up at midnight like every night. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And after the lawsuit happened, the CEO, Sean Rad, had to step down. So like he's probably even more like, screw you, Whitney. You screwed my whole life. Oh, my God. Oh, the text. There is more text messages. I encourage you guys go look it up. I can even send you the link. Melissa, you can post it in the show notes if you want. Um, there's like, she screenshotted text messages and they're on the internet from Sean and Justin. It is disgusting. And it's like, honestly, a huge flashback to 2020 or sorry, 2000s texting. It's like, you are, or like, it's like this like short thing. It was honestly really, really fun to read through them. Exactly. (laughs) Later with an eight. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyways, that's my girl, Whitney. She's my role model. I aspire to be her one day. Maybe we'll take She Factor public. Who knows? But awesome women doing awesome things. And she did make history. So I wanted to include her. That is so cool. That honestly, you like told that story so fucking well. <laughs> like, that was oh, I feel fire. like I didn't. So I'm glad. <laughs> I feel like I did not. I feel like I rambled a little bit. That, but. I was like on like, I felt like I was like in the stands like, oh my God, tell me you were. What's next? No way. Like, <laughs> that was so good. I know my podcast is like a women's history podcast, but I'm not a historian and nor do I know anything about history. So I don't typically like call myself like, oh, we're a history podcast. I feel like we're like women's lifestyle, women's stories podcasts. And like we do cover a lot of people from earlier decades, but it's I think it's equally as important to talk about the now. And these type of stories are so important because it's just further proof that even women as young as she is are making major advancements for just business in general, other female entrepreneurs, and just making, trying to like equalize what's happening out there in the dating world. It's so disgusting. And yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like Tinder's to blame for how dirty it got. And so she's just like erasing that or reclaiming that and like saying, hey, no, let's, let's, let's get rid of that. That's in the past. We're going to do it different this time with my app. And so. But then she's taking it to a whole nother level and she's like, okay, no, like we're going to change 
like the landscape for women getting VC funding. We're going to change the landscape for women having babies. We're going to change the landscape for now. She just actually invested and started a dating app, a dating app for gays. Like she is changing the landscape for everyone. Yeah. Like, and that's what I freaking love about her. She's like, I'm not going to stop at just like saying F you to Tinder. Like I'm going to do it all. Yeah. So cool. I love it. So cool. We love a bad bitch like that. Woo. Mm. A billionaire. We got two bad bitches today. (laughs) That is so cool. Oh, my God. I love it. That was so great, Tori. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for letting me share her story and my story and all the things and having me on. This is so, so much fun. I I think I need to get a co-host for my show. This is making me like crave that. Wow. I know. Like I'm so much cooler when I have someone else to like go off of. Feed off of. Yeah. yeah it, it's it's I mean like I don't know I just every time I do my episodes I leave walking away like I've like gained so much from this just so much like life I'm like yes yeah. now I just want to like run around the house and like scream from the rooftops you know? I love it I love it um please yeah. record yourself if you do and post oh, it on social media oh my god <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you loved learning about these two awesome women from history as well as history making women alive today. Oh my God, I got so much life from these women, their stories, and all of the incredible energy just coming out of Tori Ganahl through this whole episode. Oh my God, I love her. So if you've been enjoying the podcast and you haven't yet showed your support, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. This is a monthly newsletter where I write up some really awesome articles about women's history, women's news, astrology, female fun facts. I always highlight a female artist and I send this straight to your inbox every single month. It's such an awesome women's magazine and I have no doubt you'll love it if you love the podcast. So be sure to sign up on my website www.mimosasisterhood.com and until next time tell all your female friends that you love them because I have no doubt that they fucking rock. Bye.